Welcome to The Catholic Perspective, a podcast brought to you by rcspirituality.org. Enjoy the episode. Our fallen human nature weighs us down. This is what the Bible traditionally calls our flesh. And the fallen world around us is a constant source of spiritual interference. Both of those negative influences are intensified by activity the Church attributes to the devil and his followers, all of whom were created good angels by God, but became evil through their disobedient rebellion against God. In this conference, we will look at some of the tactics used by the devil and his minions, and in so doing, we will come to understand a little bit better how the angels administer their protection. The origin of what many theologians call spiritual warfare is described with symbolic language in the book of Revelation. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to the earth. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels battled against the dragon. The dragon and its angels fought back, but they did not prevail, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The huge dragon, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, was thrown down to earth, and its angels were thrown down with it. The exile of the devil and his demons to earth symbolizes the failure of their rebellion against God in heaven, but the continuance of that rebellion at work here on earth, as they keep expressing their hatred for God by trying to lead men and women into sin, cutting them off from God's grace. The singular role of the archangel Michael in that battle has led the Church to invoke him in a special way in the context of spiritual combat. He is considered the leader of the heavenly army that fights to protect us against these spiritual attacks. Until the end of history... When Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead, and to put a definitive end to all suffering and evil, this clash of good against evil will be ongoing. It is at the heart of spiritual combat. Spiritual Armor famous passage from the New Testament writings of St. Paul alludes to this sometimes forgotten dimension of our Christian lives. He writes, Finally, draw your strength from the Lord and from his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness with the evil spirits in the heavens. Therefore, put on the armor of God, that you may be able to resist on the evil day, and having done everything, to hold your ground. Biblical scholars have different opinions about the specific interpretation of some of those phrases, but the bottom line remains clear. Just as good angels exist and are interested in helping us come closer to God, so too evil spirits exist and are interested in distancing us from God. This was why Pope Leo XIII energetically promoted the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel just before the beginning of the 20th century, 
a century in which the spiritual battle took particularly virulent physical shape. St. John Paul II encouraged all of us not to forget about this prayer. He said, May prayer strengthen us for the spiritual battle that the letter to the Ephesians speaks of. The book of Revelation refers to this same battle, recalling before our eyes the image of St. Michael the Archangel. Pope Leo XIII certainly had this picture in mind when, at the end of the last century, he brought in throughout the Church a special prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. I ask everyone not to forget this prayer and to recite it to obtain help in the battle against the forces of darkness and against the spirit of this world. Avoiding Exaggerations It's possible to overreact to this reality of spiritual battle. It's possible to become obsessed with the existence of evil spirits and to attribute everything that goes wrong to their direct interference. That is a dangerous exaggeration, just as dangerous as the exaggerated denial of the very existence of demons. The Bible and church teaching make clear that evil spirits exist and are actively working against us. But they also make clear that God is still in charge, limiting the influence of evil spirits and giving us all the room we need to build our lives and exercise our freedom. The Catechism expresses this well. First, it affirms the reality of this battle between good and evil, a battle that exists both in society as a whole and in every human soul. By our first parent's sin, the devil has acquired a certain domination over man, even though man remains free. This dramatic situation of the whole world, which is in the power of the evil one, makes man's life a battle. The whole of man's history has been the story of doer combat with the powers of evil, stretching, so our Lord tells us, from the very dawn of history until the last day. Finding himself in the midst of this battlefield, man has to struggle to do what is right. Then the Catechism goes on to explain the very real limits that God has placed on diabolical activity. The power of Satan is, nonetheless, not infinite. He is only a creature, powerful from the fact that he is pure spirit, but still a creature. He cannot prevent the building up of God's reign. Although Satan may act in the world out of hatred for God and his kingdom in Christ Jesus, and although his action may cause grave injuries, of a spiritual nature and, indirectly, even of a physical nature, to each man and to society, the action is permitted by divine providence, which, with strength and gentleness, guides human and cosmic history. It is a great mystery that providence should permit diabolical activity, but we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him. The Devil's Uncommon Tactics In general, theologians identify four different ways that the evil spirits try to work their mischief. The first three are classified as extraordinary demonic activity, because they are much less common than the fourth. The most dramatic tactic, and the most rare, 
is demonic possession. Through possession, a demon will gain direct power over a person's body, and from time to time will manifest that power in violent, frightening ways. Many apparent cases of possession are actually due to merely natural causes for hysterical behavior, but the reality still exists, and canon law stipulates particular norms regarding exorcisms in order to deal with cases of possession. Demonic activity can also interfere in someone's life without taking possession of the person's body from within. External, direct interference is usually referred to as obsession if it has to do with mental and emotional disruptions, frequent and intense negative thoughts, and unexplained bouts of depression, for example. It is usually referred to as oppression if it has to do with physical disruptions, inexplicable pains or illnesses, for example. If the physical disruption is associated with a place more than a person, it is usually called a demonic infestation. Possession, obsession, and oppression are real tactics of the devil. But they are not always easy to identify, since many of the symptoms they induce can have merely natural causes. In the recommended reading list at the end of this conference, you will find some resources that can help you learn more about these extraordinary and less common manifestations of demonic activity. The Devil's Favorite Tactic But the most common, the ordinary and daily way that the evil spirits try to interfere with our growth in holiness and happiness is much simpler and much less dramatic. It's called temptation. The evil spirit's goal is to separate us from God, and no amount of possession or obsession can do that on its own. Those extraordinary forms of demonic activity just make life more difficult and increase human suffering but they can never force us to turn away from God. That can only happen if we freely give in to temptation, if we freely commit sin. The very undramatic temptations of every day, the temptation to overindulge, to gossip and backbite, to wound and cut others down, to minimize or eliminate our times of prayer, to hold grudges and seek revenge, to fudge the truth, to run from our duties and our crosses and give in to laziness, lust, greed, and self-absorption. These are the arenas of life where every single day we have a chance to show and grow our love for God and neighbor, or to drain and weaken that love. Because of our fallen, wounded human nature, and because of the fallen world in which we live, we already have built-in tendencies towards these sinful and destructive behaviors. The evil spirits act in our lives simply by trying to stimulate thoughts that make these behaviors more attractive. Their action takes place in our imagination and in our minds. They sow thoughts that serve as invitations to, or justifications for, what our fallen nature is already inclined to do, intensifying the temptation to do those things. The good angels, on the other hand, will help protect us from those thoughts. We don't know all the details about how that works, but we know that they can directly obstruct or limit the activity of evil spirits. They can also stimulate thoughts that help expose the lies behind those temptations, reminding us of the truths of our faith, of God's goodness and His promises 
of our calling to live in his friendship, the only place we can find the happiness we yearn for. In that way, the angels truly are our invisible allies, some of the many allies and helps that God's grace gives us in the midst of our hidden, everyday battles. But we need to use those helps, and he won't force us to do so. He won't let us be tempted beyond our power to resist, Scripture promises that, but neither will he eliminate completely those chances to fight for Christ's kingdom and to glorify God by saying in our hearts and with our choices, Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Conclusion Keeping the Truth in Mind It's important for us to know about this invisible dimension of our Christian lives, because God has revealed it to us. It helps us make sense out of the confusing contradictions in life, like the resistance we often feel when we try to do what's right even in the simplest circumstances. But we shouldn't exaggerate it. In the end, our job remains the same. If we continually seek God in prayer, the sacraments, and faithfulness to His will, temptations will gradually lose their hold on us, and we will find ourselves not only defending the borders of Christ's kingdom, but actually expanding them. St. James sums this up powerfully and concisely in his New Testament letter. He writes, So submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You have been listening to The Catholic Perspective, a resource from rcspirituality.org. Please visit our website and check out more great resources to help you pray, learn, grow, and go. Please join our team of digital missionaries by subscribing at rcspirituality.org. Dot org.